0: Thanks, guys. How's everybody this morning? Y'all good? good Did he just say yes, ma'am? Yeah, man. Okay, that's better. Okay, he said yeah, man. I was about, to, we was about to have a little meeting up in here all of a sudden. Well, I'm glad you guys are here today, whether you're here or you're on Facebook, and someone has messed with my stool again. I'm just saying. This is not funny, guys. This is how you distract a pastor right here. I'm gonna just deal with it today, but I'm just saying somebody's messing with my stuff. Maggie, if this is you. Um What? <laughs> Thanks, Kobe. All right. So anyway, all right, before I forget, I want to say a quick congratulations to the Verswivels. If you didn't see on Facebook, uh, they had Isabella this week. And uh, if you didn't, if you hadn't, yeah, we're really excited. If you didn't get a chance, uh, Chris wrote some really great words to, and Hannah did too, to kind of describe their birth experience, which was not at all typical, which is kind of typical of birth experiences. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know that, you will learn. They're never what you expect. Um, but anyways great words. So continue to pray for them. Everybody's good. Mom's good. Il- Isabella's good. They're at home now. Uh, but just continue to pray for that new family. Uh, we're really excited for them. Uh, and so we want to continue to pray for them. And there's been a meal train that's been set up. I saw that floating around. I don't know who's in charge of that. Uh, her mom's in charge of it. Where can people, can they find that on their page? Where do we get that? Okay, Kayla's gonna repost that. So if you haven't signed up for that and would like to to, uh, take care of that, Kayla's gonna put it on Facebook. So we watch for that. Um, I want to just kind of give a couple of just words before we start this morning. First thing I want to say is if you've read the text ahead of time, we're going to do like the first, I think, seven verses of um, Ecclesiastes, which you might find it weird that I don't know how many verses we're going to do. It's been a long week, guys. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. All right. But if you've read those first seven verses and then you look at the title for today, you're going to be like, wait, what? Because here's the, here's the, the short version of our text for today. Don't be a fool. Okay? That's pretty much what the text is saying, um, which we can all nod and say, yes, that's a good thing. However, we often know that sometimes we are fools, and so we need to be reminded. But we're going to look at not just what the text is, is telling us, but we're going to look at some other scripture today and bring together this idea that God is trying to speak to our body. So um, I wanted to say that up front so that you're not confused and think, do I have the wrong notes? No, we're, we're going to be in the right place uh, in just a minute. I also want to say Um, that at the beginning of our text in verse 2 today, you're going to see the author um, use the term left and right to describe folly and wisdom. And I want you to hear me say this from the beginning, that we are not talking about politics, okay? That is not where we're going today. Uh, That's not what the scripture is talking about. The author of Ecclesiastes did not know uh, about our system of government and the difference between a Democrat and a Republican. So when you hear those words today, our brains immediately, we've been trained by media to think about politics, but I don't want you to go there today. We want to we look at the difference between being foolish and being wise. Okay, everybody good with that? Okay, awesome. All right. Um, and also I just want to say too that, that this idea of comparing wisdom and folly is a very common theme in Old Testament. You see that over and over and over again that um, the authors of the Old Testament will make these comparisons. That's the, the way um, they write and the way they think a lot. Okay? Um, the last few really months we spent a lot of time talking about wisdom and the, the benefit in wisdom. And today, uh, as we near the end of this book, we've got a couple of chapters left. Um, you're going to notice if you look at the text today, the format is very different than it has been in the past. And when you look at that, it's going to remind you of perhaps the book of Proverbs, which we're going to reference quite a bit today. Um, but the author prior to this point has been sharing um, some very specific life experiences with us. And so as we're near the end of the book, what we're going to see is a shift in the way he's communicating. Um, And it's going to be a little bit more applicable. It's going to be kind of a condensed version of a lot of things that he's already said. So some of these themes that you're going to hear as we finish out the book are going to be very common, uh, are going to be very familiar to you. And so it's not that we're repeating things, it's that he's kind of summarizing the end of the book. You know, like a teacher, a lot of times will tell you at the beginning what you're going to learn, and then they'll tell you all the things that that you actually learn. And then they repeat at the end all the things that you just learned to kind of get it in your head. And that's what the author uh, is doing here. So this portion is laid out a little bit differently. Um, And so we spent the last few months looking at wisdom, but now we're going to take just a moment and we're going to look at folly again, and specifically what happens when we choose to live foolishly. Okay. Um, So let's see, where did I, I hadn't been reading my notes. I've just been saying what was in my mind. This is good. All right. So the the author, as as we get started today, begins this section with some really strong language, okay? I want to remind you of where we ended last week. Last week we looked at verse 1, um, and we'll read that again in just a second. But I want us to remember that God's given us an opportunity to speak truth and life into people that are experiencing devastation, right? We talked about that a lot last week. Um, I had the opportunity this week for work to go to Lake Charles and DeRitter and Leesville, kind of the path that the eye of the hurricane went up. And, and there is some real devastation there. Okay, And if you'd like to see pictures, I've got pictures of that that I can show you. Um, And I was telling Glenn a while ago, we're two weeks out from, from that hurricane passing. And there's been a lot that's been cleaned up. Um, but there is a lot that is still left to be done. And so I'm telling you that today because we're going to have some opportunities in the future to to help with that. And so I want you to, to be prayerfully considering God's call for you. Also, David, I just realized I didn't text you back yesterday. David texted me yesterday to ask if we needed help at the house. And I was in Lowe's trying to build shelving in my mind before I, so I could by the pieces and I forgot. So my apologies. I wanted to say that before I forget. All right, so let's pick up pick up again in Ecclesiastes chapter ten. We're going to start at verse one. We'll read that and then we'll dig in a little further as we move through. Okay, so um, I want to remind you as you're turning to that that we shared this. We talked about this idea last week that we are the fragrance of Christ. Right, the church is the fragrance of Christ in the world. We talk about that a lot, and as you're Thinking about that idea that we're the fragrance of Christ, let's read verse 1 again. It says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So we read that last week, and I don't know how much your heart digested that this week. But we've heard saying similar to this before, like it only takes one bad apple. Whoa. All right. It only takes, we're going to keep going. All right. Um. It only takes one bad apple to ruin a bunch, right? Sorry, I'm going to yell and then it's going to come back on. Let's just turn this off for a second. Is that all right? Working towards something in hopes of building up reputation and prestige and all that. And you make one misstep and all of that can go away, right? We see that happen Within the church, a lot. Unfortunately, we see it happen in the business world. We see it happen in the lives of people that we love, and sometimes we see that even in our own lives. Okay. And what I want us to understand today: this is not. I'm not sharing that idea to to scare you straight or anything like that. That's not what this is about. It's that we need to understand, and this is the first point for today: that how we live shapes the world's view of Christ. Okay. We can try turning it back on now, Ben. It looks like we're we're clear. How we live shapes the world's view of Christ. Now, it may not be fun to think about that, but we all know that this is true. Who we know Christ to be is a result of the experiences that we have and the people that have been in leadership over our lives as we've grown up, right? Whether that be good or bad, that's the result of who we are. It's the things that we see, the way people live, the way they speak, I'm sure that many of you can remember countless headlines of people that call themselves followers of Christ and then commit horrible acts, right? They, they treat people in really bad ways. And there's no denying that, that this effect on how people see the world and how they understand specifically the church, people that are believers or unbelievers, they see that, they experience who the church is by the way that we act, Right And now, we, we wanna, I want us to think about the fact, we're going to talk about this in a minute, we live under grace, and we're going we're gonna to address that in just a minute, but I want us to also see that our actions have an impact on the people around us. They form and shape the way people think about Christ. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me, okay, because the author's going to make this point for me. He said, a wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everyone he is a fool. Okay, so here we see the preacher making this very clear distinction between wisdom and folly. And I want you to notice that he doesn't describe a happy medium between those two. It's not like you can float somewhere in the middle. You are either wise or you are a fool. And if you drift in either direction, that's just the way you go, right? There's no, there's no middle ground there. There's no place where we can jump back and forth between the two in fact when people do that when they jump back and forth between wisdom and folly where are they categorized as foolish right not as wise people think well they're just a fool but every now and then uh they get it right right even a blind hog or blind squirrel i don't remember finds a nut y'all heard that before every now and then you can accidentally get lucky right i want you to hear me on this because there's an opportunity to have misunderstanding here do we live under grace yes absolutely Is Christ going to forgive us when we act foolishly? Absolutely. Do we and others have to live with the consequences of that folly? Again, yes, we do. You see, God can forget our sins, right? And and he can do that because he is God. Look at some scripture with me because God tells us specifically that he will forget our sins when he forgives us. Micah 7, 18 through 19. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Or Psalm 103, 9 through 12. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far he has removed our transgressions from us or isaiah 38:17 indeed it was for my own well-being that i had such intense bitterness but your love has delivered me from the pit of destruction for you have thrown all my sins behind your back or isaiah 43:25 i am the one i sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. And then lastly, Jeremiah 31-34. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. I wanted you to see all of those passages reminding us that when God forgives our sin, it is forgotten. Okay, we need to understand that characteristic of God. And as important as that is for us, we, we call that grace, right? Christ does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He fixes the sin problem that is in all of our lives. But we also need to understand that even though God has forgotten those things, the people in our lives are still hurt by our foolishness. And because they are not God, they cannot forget. So you see, we live under grace, and grace is an incredible Incredible thing, okay? I saw a tweet yesterday that said, we need to quit r- using the word awesome so much. And it said, preachers, I'm pointing at you. Okay, but grace is an awesome thing. It is awe-inspiring to see that we can continue to mess up and mess up and mess up. And God continues to love us and forgive us and forget about it. However, we are people. We are not God. And we don't have that ability. Look at verse... Um, or I want to point out Proverbs thirteen sixteen. This is cross reference from, from verse 3. If you look at verse 3 in your Bible, there'll be a little letter at the end of that. And this is one of them that it, that it puts out. It says, um, this is Proverbs 13, verse 16. It says, every sensible person acts knowledgeably, but a fool deplay, displays his stupidity. We don't need to fall into the trap of thinking that we've built up a reputation of being a wise or a good person and that we can act foolishly and no one will notice. People notice there's a saying that people used to say all the time in uh, youth ministry, and I'll, I'll not say it quite. Is, it wasn't super vulgar, but um, teenagers are great poop detectors, okay? If you try to pretend, they see right through that. Well, people are all the same way. It's not just teenagers. We can, we can live our lives in a wise way, but the moment we begin to act foolishly, people see that. And it doesn't just affect us. It affects others around us. So... We look at all of this, we understand that, that when we act foolishly it's not hidden and our actions are on full display to the world. This is not foreign territory for anybody. We know this. This is something that we know as human beings, that people see our actions. We all know what it's like to have to deal with someone else's foolishness in, in, uh, in, a, in addition to our own. But how do we do that? What is the proper response to foolishness, whether it's ours or someone else's? Because every situation is going to be different. But in verse 4, the author gives us a really good guiding principle. Look at verse 4 with me in Ecclesiastes 10. He said, If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. Look, chances are good that you know someone who is in leadership over others who has a tendency to act a little bit foolish, okay? If you've ever had a boss ever in your life, there's been someone in leadership who's acted foolishly at some point in their life. All of us do, okay? Our tendency when we, when we experience that is become to become defensive and to retaliate, right? If someone, if someone does something foolish to me in this example, a ruler is unfair to the person he's in rule over, our, natural reaction is to become defensive and to retaliate against that right to to protect ourselves however that's not how jesus taught his disciples to respond and it's not how jesus responded i love that this week uh chris in one of his posts shared like in the middle of their struggle, the Lord put this verse, it was the verse of the day, he took a screenshot. If you go look at his post, it's a screenshot of, and uh, on his background is Isabella. And then this verse of the day popped over, it's, it's Exodus fourteen fourteen. It says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Man, what a great word. There's a great word for Chris in that day, but the Lord revealed that, it showed that to me, and then our text, that sometimes there's going to be times in our lives where we are treated unjustly where people in our lives act foolishly towards us. And there will be times where we need to stand up for ourselves, but there's going to be a lot more times where we need to just be silent and let the Lord do the work. We want to defend ourselves, but there's more at stake than just our reputations or just our feelings. And so point number two I want to make today is that our response to foolishness can change hearts. Our response to foolishness can change hearts. When we're treated unjustly, our response, how we choose to respond to that unfair treatment can be a game changer. Not just for us, but more importantly for the people that are acting that way towards us. Instead of immediately making that situation about ourselves... We should take a moment and consider all that might be going on in that person's lives. I was sharing with a coworker the other day that we had an experience. I don't want to share the details of it, but someone was really negative towards myself and someone and, and another person at my office. And I was sharing with them that that's probably not because of anything we did. Matter of fact, I know it wasn't because we didn't do anything wrong. But we don't know what else is going on in that person's life. And it could be that their day, their week, I mean, it's been, this has been a stressful year, okay? Hashtag 2020, we're over it right? It's been hard. And that guy's response to us didn't have anything to do with our actions. We were just in the right place at the wrong time when it all came out. And so when, when we have experiences like that, our tendency is to go, is to make it about ourselves and be like, oh, I must have done something to offend them, or I know I didn't do anything wrong. Why are they acting that way towards me? When it doesn't have to be about us. You may have had an experience like that before. I was thinking through this whenever I was preparing this week, and I remembered there was this old man that used to work for Petron. I started at Petron when I was 15 years old, and there was this old man and Mr. Joe that ran the shop. He's retired, and I haven't seen him in years, but for the first three years that I worked at Petron, he was like the nicest, sweetest old grandpa you ever met in your life, and I never understood, like all the other employees really hated him. And I just couldn't get it. I was like, I don't know what their problem is, but this dude is awesome. Like, we hung out. It, it was just great, okay? Until the day I turned 18. And it was like somebody flipped a switch. And he became the meanest, orneriest old man I'd ever met, okay? And here's, I'll explain a little further. So, so a couple of years go by. And the reason that 18 was significant is because all of a sudden I was old enough to drive a company vehicle. And Mr. Joe was the head mechanic in charge of maintaining those vehicles, Okay. A couple of years go by, this man has been a real pain in the behind. Okay. And I didn't want, it was one of those, like you see Mr. Joe come and you go the other way. It was one of those kind of relationships. And my dad one day was like, Hey, we're going to go fishing with Joe this weekend. I was like, what? Why would anyone do that? He's like, no, no, it's going to be great. Joe's a great guy. I'm like, well, and my dad's pretty high in the company. So nobody's really a jerk to him because you don't do that to your boss. Right. And so we go fishing and we get to Mr. Joe's house. And there's that sweet, kind old man. And I was like, man, is this guy bipolar? Like, what's going on here? Because this is Saturday and Friday. He was really mean to me. What is going on? And as I got older and I've reflected on that, what I realized is that Joe didn't hate me. He hated his job. He hated the fact that he was responsible for something that he didn't really have control over. And I can very much identify with that. I've had jobs like that before where I was responsible for things that I didn't have control over. But at the end of the day, they were still my responsibility. And I share that story because I want you to see is that even though I was treated two completely different ways by the same person, the change in treatment wasn't due to anything that I did. All I did was turn 18. All I did was get permission to drive a company vehicle like everybody else that worked at the company. His issue wasn't with me personally, but I took it personally for a lot of years. And as we, as we look at situations like that in our lives, we need to understand that a lot of times it's not about us. It's something else that's going on in that person's life. And, and instead of making it about us, what if instead we chose to bring the Lord into that situation and let God do a work in that person's heart? I want to get, remind you again, I just want to read this real quick. In verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 10, it said, If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post, for calmness puts great offense to rest. You know, our response, how we respond to someone who has a bad attitude with us or who is mean with us can be life-changing for them. Because if, if someone is catching an attitude with me and I return that with attitude, does that make things calm down? Of course not. It escalates things and makes it worse. We know that. But it's a valuable lesson for us to all understand that when someone gives us an attitude, it may not be because of what we've done. It may be because of something else that's happening in their life that we could have impact in, a place where we could share love with them where they're not receiving love. But if we make it about us, then we'll never see those opportunities. A simple act of kindness could be life-changing for the person. Look at Proverbs twenty-five, fifteen. It says, a ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Look, our words and our attitudes are incredible assets and also detriments, right? They can be our greatest tool or our most divisive tool. Look at James 3, verse 3 through 12. You've all heard this, but I want to put it in context of what we're hearing from the author of Ecclesiastes today. It says, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. Okay, he's talking about the bit you put in the horse's mouth. You put that bit in and you can make that horse do anything you want. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed, and he has has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame his tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater salt water spring yield fresh water. My grandfather used to say it like this. Someone would say a curse word and he would say, you kiss your mama with that same mouth? Tongues are... Our, our tongues are incredibly powerful. And when someone is, is unfair or unjust with us, the way, what we say and the way we say it has the opportunity to bring about change. If we will simply have the presence of mind to include the Holy Spirit in that moment, we talk about abiding all the time, in that moment when that attitude comes, involve the Lord right there in your mind, just say, God, help me with this. And then do what He says. And have an opportunity to change people's. You've heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a straight up lie. Okay? That is a straight up lie. Words very much can hurt. And James is very clear that our words hold an enormous amount of power. We all know how it feels when someone points their foolishness in our direction. When someone raises hurtful words towards you, they are hurtful. Right? Right? I mean, I I can remember conversations that I've had with people in my life that happened decades ago, and it still hurts when I think about it. Our words have lasting impact, and so if our words and our attitudes have lasting impact, what about if instead of saying things that are hurtful, we say things that build people up? What if the legacy that we leave is not having an attitude with somebody? I was telling Bethany last night about this conversation I had with a childhood friend years ago. He called we got kind of reconnected and he called me one day and I was on the other line and and I didn't answer and I called him back later and he jumped at me and was snapping and you didn't answer my call and so I returned in like fashion. And I I feel bad about that to this day. That guy didn't need that. I don't know what was going on in his life. But he certainly didn't deserve that from me, even if that's what he gave me. You see, a lot of times we, we think that if someone is hurtful to us, that we ought to be able to hurt them in return, right? That seems fair. But that's not who Jesus has called us to be. It's very possible that that the person that we're having this encounter with could have something huge happening in their life that we have no idea about. And they just had to get some of that out of them and you just happened to be the person standing in front of them when it happened. And it could be, that if we'll take the time to be in the moment and to let the Holy Spirit speak, that we could have an incredible impact. We could have a voice in a person's life that we never thought might be possible. In making the moment about us, we miss the opportunity to show love to someone who obviously needs it. I do want to take a sidebar this morning and say that that I'm, as we talk about this, as we talk about people being unfair and foolish in our lives, that I am, not, I am not addressing abusive situations. That is something completely different, okay? If you're being regularly attacked, whether verbal, emotional, physically, that's not okay. And if you're in a situation like that, that is not what we're addressing this morning, okay? If you're in a situation like that, um, you need to, to talk to somebody, whether it's me or someone else that you trust, have a conversation, too often, people use scripture to defend abuse, and that is not what is happening today, okay? Abuse is something very different than someone who's just had a bad day, okay? I want to say this too, church. If there's somebody in your life who you feel like might be an abusive situation, take the time and have an awkward conversation. It would be much better to have an awkward conversation than it would be to be sorry later that you didn't step in and say something. Okay? Because sometimes what people need is just someone acknowledging that they see what's happening, and it gives them the release to say, okay, this is not okay, and I need to do something about it. Okay? So, I want you to, I want you to hear me say that today. Abuse is not what we're talking about here, and it's vital that there's no confusion regarding that. Everybody, everybody clear? Okay. All right. Good. We're going to keep going. All right. So going back to our typical responses to normal foolishness, we need to realize that our responses can change the heart of, of people. So point number three I want to make today is that we can change lives by being willing to have a hard conversation. Look at uh, verses five through seven with me in Ecclesiastes 10. It says, there is an evil I've seen under the sun and an and error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights but the rich man remains in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. So I want to remind you, the preacher's telling us what he's witnessed. There's evil in the world. We see him make this statement all the time, you know, um, all the things I've seen under the sun. When he says that, he is saying, I have seen this with my own eyes. This is an experience that I've had. He's saying that when evil is present in someone's life, that life is upside down. That's what he's describing in these situations. He's saying that things are not as they should be. And too many times people are trapped in these upside down situations and they don't know how to escape it. You know, I I don't know if you've had an experience like this. You probably have, but there'll be times in your life when you're bebopping along and everything's pretty okay. And then something devastating happens And then something else devastating happens behind that. And then something behind that. And you kind of wake up one day and you go, God, I need a break from this. Right? And a lot of times that's happening and people don't know it. If you're not in a close relationship with somebody, they may have had devastating after devastating after devastating. And all you know is that they're a jerk when they get to the office. There's always something deeper. When you see somebody that looks like they need help, talk to them about it. Ask questions, okay? And if it's something that's outside of your area of expertise, which a lot of times it will be, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. But what you can do is help them find somebody that can help them with where they are. If you don't know about somebody that's qualified to deal with the issues that's going on in someone's life, ask somebody else. Ask me, ask an elder, ask someone else in your life that mentors you. We'll help find the right person. But all of us at some point are going to have to help somebody deal with the issue that we're not qualified to help with. And I don't know about you, but that causes a lot of anxiety in me because I don't want to mess things up. But I want you to hear me say that it's okay to not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And I tell people that on a regular basis. If it's outside of my area of expertise, we're going to go find somebody who knows something about that. Because I don't want to lead people astray. And I know you don't want to either. Okay. I'm repeating all this again because I don't want to leave any room for confusion. If, this, if it's an abuse situation, that's not what we're discussing here. If you're not sure if you're in that kind of situation, ask somebody. If you're kind of on the fence like, I don't know if this is or not, have some conversations, okay? So this is true for abusive situations, but it's also true in the everyday craziness of life. Like we see people struggling all the time. I have people call me and say, well, this, this, and this is going on in my life. I don't really know what to do with it. And the first response is, well, what is God saying? and we'll talk through that. And then if it's something beyond that that I don't have area of expertise in, let's go find somebody. I'll go with you. We'll do this together, and we'll figure this out. But it's taking that time to love people, to invest in their lives right where they are. We see people struggling every day. It might be coworkers, friends, family. And we often fail in our call to love one another because we care more about how we feel than about what's going on in their life. Right? We don't want to put ourselves out because I don't really have time for this today, quote unquote, or I don't really want to have this conversation because it's going to be super awkward. It might be awkward for a long time. But think about what you're doing there. You're making your feelings a priority over someone's reality, someone's reality that you could have a very positive impact in. Look, loving people is hard. It's hard to join someone in their difficulties, but that's precisely why we need to join them. Because they're already carrying that load. And I don't know about you, but when I have to carry a heavy load, it is incredible when someone comes alongside me and picks up on that heavy load and helps me carry it, even for just a moment. That, that act of love can speak volumes into someone's life. When we do that, we're showing those people the true character of God. Because God doesn't, he says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And when people feel the burdens of the world, what they need more than anybody, anything is somebody to say, hey, let me get a piece of that and let's walk together and let's talk about this. Right? Let's do life together. Let me carry this load for you. Let me take some of this weight off of you. Man, that speaks way more love than just some pad like, hey, man, I'll be praying for you. I'm not going to think about you again. till you later. Right? Because that's what we're really saying. This week, um, I saw a, a post on Facebook that a friend of uh, Bethany and I has shared, and it's one of those, like, you read it, and it just kind of takes you back for a second. Like, it's so good, you have to read it a couple of times to kind of digest it. And I love when that happens, because a lot of times, someone else finds a way to put into words what I've been trying to say for a long time, but I'm not eloquent enough to figure out how to put those words together and not sound like a jerk. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. This is, this is a guy named Walter Brueggemann, um, who is a theologian. He said... For I believe the crisis in the U.S. church has almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has everything to do with giving up on the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a common, generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. You see, in America, in the United States, we've made the whole world around to revolve around us. We make it about us. Am I comfortable? Am I? Do I have the things around me that make me feel good? Right? And we see that displayed in silly little ways. Like for a long time, if my coffee wasn't just right, if this wasn't just right, like I couldn't have a quiet time with the Lord because everything wasn't right. And it was about me. It was making it about me. And we do that so often in so many areas of our lives. And especially in relationships, when someone unloads on you, what's most likely happening is they just needed somebody to share that with. Whether that comes across in a loving way or not. Usually not. Look, there's so much in our world that needs to be corrected. And our desire, what we really want is to fix the problems in the world. But what we know, what we've talked about so many times, is that we can't fix all of it. But what we can do is start where God is working in your lives. When someone unloads on you, there's a real good chance that the Holy Spirit is involved in that. There's a real good chance that that wasn't an accident. That God puts you in the right place at the right time to be involved in that person's life. There's going to be times where God's going to ask us to speak out against things. But there's going to be just as many where God tells us to just wait. Just be there and just wait. I love in the musical Hamilton, we see this juxtaposition between Alexander Hamilton, who says everything he's thinking... And Aaron Burr, who never tells you what he's thinking. If you haven't seen the movie, it's great. Go see it, okay? But Burr always says, talk less, smile more, right? Come on, Michelle, this is your moment. (laughs) She was going to sing it for me. (laughs) Don't tell them what you are against or what you're for. And then Hamilton says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for, right? Both of these men are relying on their own wisdom to guide them. I propose that we do what we say we do, right? That when we enter these experiences, that we ask God, we abide in Him. When those moments come, and they're going to come, and somebody unloads on you, you have to deal with a fool, or you're foolish yourself, that in that moment you invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of that. And let Him speak into it. And then do what He tells you to do. If the situation's dire and demands immediate response, respond immediately. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't be involved. It means you don't have time for that. Invi- it's like, in your mind, just, God, we've got to do something. Let's go. And God will direct your path. If you're abiding in Him, if that is your life goal is to abide, you wake up in the morning, Lord, this is your day. Let's go. Show me what to do. You're going to make the right call. If it's not dire and you can take some time, take some time. Seek wise, godly wisdom and counsel that person or, or help them to find a counselor. We look around our world and we see so many problems and where and how to start are always the questions, right? I go down to Lake Charles this week and, and immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, where do you even begin? How do you help these people? You can't just throw money at this problem. I mean, you can, but it's not gonna have the real effect that it needs. Instead of relying on our own wisdom, on our own abilities, we need to let the Holy Spirit use us as He sees fit. But the only way that can happen is if we are purposefully abiding in Him moment by moment. This requires that we pay attention to both the world, but most importantly, to God. That means we've got to have our eyes open and the Holy Spirit active in our hearts and in our minds. But that only happens when we allow that to happen. It's easy to put our blinders on, right? It's easy to get just distracted by the world and all the things that are around us. But we have to be purposeful and intentional about the way we live life and the way that we respond to people. Look, and I can guarantee you that if you're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this world will be made better, not worse. And that guarantee is not from me. It is from God himself. If God wants to do something and He's guiding you to do it, whether it looks successful or not, it is successful, because God's the one doing it. The answer that this world needs are not found in politics, they're not found in our possessions, they're not found in empty promises. What the world needs is to know God. We look around the world and we see foolishness, and the answer to that is not people like us just spouting out wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit. When we spend time with the Father and we allow Him to make us into His likeness, the foolishness that's in us is replaced by godly wisdom. And so what people begin to experience as we do life with them is not our wisdom. It's not things that we've thought up. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, making us who He's called us to be. I love this morning, um, Oswald talked about this in Utmost. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. The surrender here is to myself. To Jesus with his rest at the heart of my being he says if you want to be my disciple you must give up on your right to yourself to me and once this is done the remainder of your life will exhibit nothing but the evidence of this surrender and you never need to be concerned again with what the future may hold for you whatever your circumstances may be Jesus is totally sufficient he says true surrender is a matter of being united together with Jesus in the likeness of his death until nothing ever appeals to you that did not appeal to Him. And after you surrender, then what? Your entire life should be characterized by an eagerness to maintain unbroken fellowship and oneness with God. Look, when the mark on our lives, when people look at us and what they see is a life that is surrendered to Jesus, there is authenticity there that you can't get anywhere else. How we live our responses to people and our actions after the fact are going to represent the person of Christ or they're going to represent the world. And the way we determine what those two representations, the way, if, if my response, what I'm trying to say is if one, someone has an uh, interaction with me, my response is going to reflect the world or it's going to reflect Jesus. And the only way I can make a determination of that is by daily abiding in Him, right? If I skip four, five, six, seven, eight, 12 days, of spending time with the Lord, and someone comes at me with an attitude, you can bet you're behind, I'm going to respond back with attitude because my heart's not in the right place. Right? But if I've had a great morning with the Lord, even if I've had a mediocre morning with the Lord, and someone comes at me with attitude, my response is going to be much more Christ-like because I'm abiding in Him. Because I've chosen to take the time to spend with the Lord. Just like Jesus said, if we love God and we love one another, all of the other laws are going to be fulfilled in our lives. It's easy to say, but we all know that this is a daily struggle, that every morning we have to surrender ourselves to the Lord. The only hope that we have of living a life that's marked by love is to daily surrender ourselves to God. And to say, God, today's about you and not about me. And then walking that out as he leads. Listen, God loves this broken, devastated world. And the only way the world's ever going to know that is if we tell them. We talk about that so often. And I'm going to keep repeating that message until it is firmly planted in all of our minds. But today we've talked about our responses to foolishness. And we need to understand our nature is we want to retaliate. But God's nature is to love in response to foolishness. And if we ever want to be this beautiful fragrance to the world, this fragrance of Christ, our responses have to reflect Christ and not the sin in our lives, not the brokenness of this world. And the only way that that happens is by us daily spending time with the Lord. And when we do that, every day we're going to have an opportunity to change people's lives, not because we're good, but because Christ in us, that's in us is overflowing out of us and isn't that the goal that we share we talk about that all the time right we are a church we call ourselves the gathering place we are a bunch of sinners and we're going to gather around Jesus and we want to bring people into that environment we want people to know the person of Christ I think it's important to point out that this is the reason that God has us in the place that he has us right now God has called us to be a people that plants churches. And Glenn announced last week that God is beginning a work in us through our body in Colleen. And so we need to be praying about that. We have experienced the grace and the love of God in a way that most of the world have never experienced. And this is why God calls us to plant churches. It's so that we can go and we can send this message. We can bring this message of God's love to the rest of the world that's why he has us in romania that's why he's got us in honduras and alaska and uganda and all of those places that we've been that's why he's got us in alexandria on mckithin drive it's why he's got us in wardville it's why he's sending us to colleen it's because there is a grace that this world does not know it's a hope that we have that we have experienced that god is calling us to share with other people As you're praying about joining God and planting this church in Colleen, you need to understand that that is the purpose. We don't plant churches because we want to have a a new old building and gather around each other and feel really good about the work that we're doing, okay? We do this because we are called by God to share this message of love and hope and grace with the rest of the world. And so I want you to know, whether you're a member of, of TGP West or TGP Colleen or whatever we're going to call it, I don't know, God had not spoke that yet, that the expectation, not from me, not from the elders, the expectation from God is that we will be a fragrance in this world, a representation of who he truly is. And the only way we can truly represent Christ is if we are spending time with him, letting him change our hearts to be like his, to make us in his likeness. This plant at TGP West has been life-changing for me because I've seen God use this body to love people in a way that they've never experienced love before. And I'm talking about some of you that are sitting in these pews that didn't start with us when we first began, but I'm also talking about the community around us. I'm talking about the people that go to life groups that don't come to our building here. God has used the people of this church to change lives and we need to see that we need to have that before us all the time this is not about us patting ourselves on the back and saying we're really great church planners. this is about us realizing seeing the truth that when we spend time with the Lord when we abide in him our hearts and our minds and our lives are changed and that rubs off on people they go man I, I don't know what you got but I want some of that that's what church planning is about that's why that's why we do what we do that's why God's called us to be who we are And so I want you to understand that that if God's calling you to go to, to, to Colleen, I keep wanting to say Colleen, I don't know why. Anyway, if God's calling you to Colleen, the purpose in that is to share the love of Christ in a new place. We'll talk a lot more about this. I know Glenn's going to talk about it in the future, okay? But that's the goal of our church planting, is to share what God has given us with the people around us, okay? To bring what we've learned about the nature of God into a new place. And as I stated earlier, if we are abiding in him, we are guaranteed success. And I'm not talking about success as the way the world defines it. Obedience is success. If we are obeying obeying Christ, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to be successful. He's inviting us to join him in a work that he's already doing out there. We're not going to start something. We're going to join God in whatever he's doing. I'm I'm saying we because I'm not going because God's called me to pastor here. But we are going as a people. We are sending people that way. Okay? So whether God calls you to continue ministry here or to join him in what he's doing in Colleen, the expectation is the same. The Gathering Place Church is called to gather people around Jesus. Our goal isn't to change lives by what we do, but rather change, have lives changed around us by what Christ is doing in us. To be that fragrance to be the hope of glory, right? Christ in us is the hope of glory. If we're abiding in Him, if we're responding in the appropriate way, if we're letting the Holy Spirit be in control of how we respond to people of this world, we're gonna have an impact, guaranteed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, such a challenging message for myself to this, this week. God, to, um, to rely on you for wisdom. To, re- to rely on you for the proper responses when people are foolish. God, is my, my hope and my prayer for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would just water this idea that's in our mind, that we allow it to, to grow, that you have called us to be a people that loves in a way that this world has not experienced. You called us to love in a way that we can't do on our own. We can only love the way you've called us to love if we are spending time with you, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. God, I pray that you would give us a passion for that, that it wouldn't just be something that we talk about a couple of times a week, that every day when we wake up, the first thing on our minds would be your love and that that would drive us to love in a revolutionary way, that it would drive us to, to give up our lives for one another. God, we are in awe of how much you love us. God, give us the strength and the desire and the passion to show that to other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray.